author, Samuel, according to Jewish tradition, and there were additions possibly added during the time of David and Solomon. Date, the time frame Judges covers occurred between about 1400 to 1000 BC. Joshua is still alive at the early time, and the next generation was faithful too. The time the Judges themselves began was probably between 1380-1360 BC. The writing of the book would be around 1000 BC, perhaps as early as 1051 BC, when Saul began to reign, or earlier, again with some additional comments added later. Outline I. 1. Review of the Conquest 2. 2-3, Transition into Apostasy 3. 4-16, Narratives of the Judges 4. 17-18, Introduction of Israelite Idolatry v. 19-21, Corruption, Civil War, and Ending Key Theme-slash-Events 1. Disobedience to God and the Mosaic Covenant brings judgment. This is the main theme of Judges. You will read this and hear this often, and it is true. God promised the Israelites in the Mosaic Law or Mosaic Covenant, that He would bless them, the INR acronym, if they obeyed His law and following His ways. He promised He would be against them, or curse them, if they rejected Him and His law. See Deuteronomy 28 for one example. To reject His law, was to reject His word, which was to reject Him. They rejected Him by worshipping other gods. By worshipping other gods and corrupting the worship of the true God, they rebelled against God. Applications, this is a challenge for the church today. Many wrongly think that only singing or the music or praise portion of a church service is worship. It is part of it, but worship is more than that. It is a lifestyle. However, I want to focus on corporate worship. I have been in church services around the world. Their styles are different and their music is different. I have seen the simple singing without instruments and the complex music with multiple instruments. Both can be a blessing. Regardless of musical style, the content or message is what should be central. When the music or method eclipses the message, or becomes more important than the content, then we have corrupted our worship of God. There are some wonderful old hymns and new songs. There are also some troubling old songs and erroneous new songs that put the emphasis on me, rather than God. That too is a corruption of worship. Worship leaders should be good theologians. If you seek to be a worship leader of any kind, remember your responsibility. It is to choose songs that glorify God, and not because a song or style is popular, but because you lead people into the presence of God through music and song, preparing hearts to hear and receive the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, which is the central aspect to the worship service. Your job is not to create a show or spectacle of yourself, or to show how great electronics, lighting, or showpieces can be. Yes, we use lights and yes, there is a place for excitement. But we must be careful not to equate excitement, with God's work or presence. Just because people raise their hands doesn't mean God is at work. On the flip side, dead rituals or traditions without passion is also a corruption of worship. Why? There's no life. Where the Lord is, there is life. Whether you use no instruments, or use many instruments, remember who your audience is, God. Worship is not about how songs make me feel, but. Does God receive our worship as an offering? It's not about my experience of God, but. Does God experience my worship of Him? Israel corrupted their worship by bringing in pagan elements, such as false gods, pagan practices, and more. The church needs to learn from their mistake. What was the result for Israel? Judgment. God judged His people for their sin. He used a variety of pagan nations to oppress them, more below. 2. Idolatry among God's people. 
This was one reason God sent the nations to oppress His people. The text is very clear. They not only turned to other gods and worshipped them, but took part in their pagan practices and even incorporated pagan rituals and practices into the worship of the one true God. See Judges 17. Application, this too is dangerous, but it has been done a lot historically in the church and is still being done around the world. Idolatry was a temptation for Israel for generations, and though the Babylonian captivity cured much of that, there were remnants that still remained afterwards. Judges 2 11-12 says it well, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, so they provoked the Lord to anger. When they were oppressed, they cried out to the Lord, eventually. He heard their cry, felt pity for them and sent a judge to free them. Judges 2 19, But it came about, when the judge died, that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not abandon their practices or their obstinate ways. They constantly turned back to what destroyed them, and put themselves into a position to be oppressed again. Application, but this is the way we are as people. So many know the one drink, one look, or one something will cause them to go down a path they don't want to go down. Many remember their past and bad decisions, and sadly, many, even Christians, continue making bad decisions. Why? There are various reasons, but let me encourage you. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, based on the Word of God, you have the freedom to say no. You don't have to go back down that path. You are free in Christ, free to do what is right, free to reject evil and embrace good, free from the sin or sins that used to plague you, and total free from condemnation. Read and study Romans 6 and 8. While we cannot be perfect in this life, we have the power to say no to sinful things. Is there a struggle? Yes. Will we fail at times? Yes. When we turn back to Him, that is where God's grace comes in, as it did for the Israelites, and restores us. There may be consequences, but with God's help, He can bring us out stronger than we went in. Also, we need to understand the culture of the ancient Near East. In the minds of the people, the gods were involved in everything from crops growing, to children being born, to the political structures of the day, to worship and more. Everything revolved around your religious system, gods and the values of those gods. This is very similar to how Muslims live their lives. Oh, that Christians would live as if God is alive in our lives. I include myself too. One other factor that goes along with the above paragraph is that things were perverse in the ancient world, because idolatry and immorality always went together. It wasn't just that the people worshipped and bowed to idols. No. There were perverse worship practices as part of it, which I covered briefly in the character study of the Canaanites. You may want to go back and reread about them. 3. Oppression. This goes back to the O in our acronym, and a topic that is constant within this book. When the people disobeyed God, rejected His Word and the covenant which their forefathers, and by implication them, promised to keep, God sent or allowed various pagan groups to oppress them. The surprising thing is, in chapter 2, we learn that this cycle began during the latter time of Joshua's life. Chapter 1 opens with Joshua's death. Chapter 2 goes back just before that time. The angel of the Lord rebuked the people and they wept, and were faithful the rest of Joshua's life, and the life of the elders of the next generation. But after that, they were not. Judges 2 20-3-2, So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, because this nation has violated my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I in turn will no longer drive out from them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, 
whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did, or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and He did not hand them over to Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left, to test Israel by them, that is, all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it previously. We find three reasons for the oppression Israel faced. 1. They disobeyed God. He brought these nations or allowed them to invade, to discipline or chastise His people. 2. He tested them. Though He knew, He wanted them to see if they would be faithful to Him or not. Their history was not all that great up to this point, the wilderness wanderings, lack of faith, etc. but, they had another chance to follow the Lord. 3. To teach a new generation how to fight. A generation arose that did not know what it was like to fight for what was right, and to enter the land. In other words, they had it easy. They were in the land, and in their mind apparently, did not need to continue to fight, or did not know how to fight for what the Lord had told them to fight for. Applications, there are so many applications for us today. When we sin, God can and does use other people to discipline us. It could be a spouse, child, neighbor, co-worker, friend, a student we know, someone at church, or a random stranger. It could also be financial difficulty or problems with our health, or any number of things the Lord allows or brings into our lives to bring us back to Himself. While difficulty or sickness are not always because of sin, there are times it is. In addition, God uses the difficulties we face to test us. Though He knows, He wants us to see where our loyalty is, Him or something or someone else. You may be tested in a relationship, a business venture, just doing your job, an assignment at school, or something even more difficult. Joseph was tested and he ran from temptation. Daniel and his friends were tested and they followed the law of God. Abraham was tested to see if he loved God more than his son. Tests will come. Last, when things get easy, we get lazy. It happened to the children of Israel and it happened in this country. After World War II, things changed a lot. America was blessed by God in many ways. But then we became lazy, self-indulgent, and rejected God in schools and in the culture at large. A generation now thinks they are owed everything. They don't have to fight for anything, and are unthankful for what they have been given. They bite the hand that feeds them. This mentality can be seen in churches, and something we must be very careful of as the body of Christ, as families, and individuals. We all want to give our children the best and more than we had. But they still need to learn to fight for what is right, do what is right, follow the Lord, and learn biblical and practical ethics, such as hard work, honor, love, loyalty, and more. If we don't teach them these things, it only takes a generation or two before culture, morality and the church plunge into chaos. 4. Each judge represents sinful aspects of Israel. Each judge progressively gets worse in their character. Why? They represent the nation of Israel at the time. So, while they were political or strong leaders, they pictured the failure of the people to follow the Lord. More on this in the character studies. 5. Anarchy. This is more towards the end of the book of Judges. Israel continued to slide down the slippery slope into anarchy. Whenever a nation forgets or rejects God and His truth, anarchy will always be the result, sooner or later. Things got so bad in Israel, the tribe of Benjamin is almost wiped out. Things got so bad in Israel that a Levite, a priest, had a concubine. Things got so bad in Israel that this concubine was given and sexually assaulted repeatedly. It was horrible. See Judges 19-21 for details. Historical context- The opening chapter of Judges begins well, 
with inquiring of the Lord and the continued conquest, but by verse 27, Manasseh and others failed to drive out the Canaanites, etc. and claim the land that was promised. These people groups became a thorn in Israel's side for a very long time. The rest of the book is a cycle of rebellion, repression, repentance and restoration. I know the Holdcroft book mentions six parts to the cycle, but I have cut it down to four, just so it is easier to remember. 1. Rebellion, the Israelites did evil in God's sight, by breaking His covenant, worshipping the false gods, and incorporating pagan practices into their own worship and more. 2. Repression, God sent or allowed the pagan peoples to conquer and oppress or repress, His people. 3. Repentance, the Israelites grew tired of being under subjugation by others, cried out to the Lord and repented. 4. Restoration, God sent a judge to deliver the people from bondage, and then to live in peace for a period of time. This cycle repeats after the death of the judge. There have been difficulties in dating the time frame of judges as noted earlier on. It is possible there was some overlap from one judge to another, meaning one judge was in one area of Israel, while another judge was in a different part of Israel at the same time. This means the book may only cover about 200 years, which is a little short. Others add the dates together, which comes to about 410 years, which is too long. I believe the book took place about 250 to 315 years or so, partially because of one of the comment in 1126 regarding 300 years. Remember, this was not the ending of the time of the judges, but some history still had to take place after this. There were six main judges, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, with, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. There were six minor judges, Shamgar, Tola, Yer, Ibzon, Elon, and Obdan. On the next page is a map that shows the general area where each judge judged. Below is a chart that outlines each judge, the biblical text, what tribe they were from, if known, who the oppressors were at the time, and the time frame in which the Israelites were oppressed and the time of rest after the judge. One important aspect within judges is the empowerment by the Spirit of the Lord, for certain judges. While the Bible does not say every judge was empowered by the Spirit, this can confuse some. Put simply, the Holy Spirit worked differently before Pentecost, when He came to permanently indwell believers. Before that, He would come to empower specific people, at a specific time, for a specific purpose. In the context of the judges, He empowered them to free Israel from their oppressors and to bring restoration back to them. God in the Books God's redemptive work, the R in history, is seen throughout this book. At the beginning of the book, the people inquire of the Lord and He directs them, Judges 1 1-7. The angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, confronts the people regarding their unfaithfulness and laziness, 2-1-5. As noted, repeatedly, God gave His people over to oppressors when they were unfaithful to Him. He had to do it. He warned them it would occur, and He had to follow through with disciplining them. Application, this is a reminder for those of us as parents, that first, we need to tell them what is expected of them. Second, if we promise to discipline our kids for something they do, then we too need to follow through. If you are a business owner with employees working for you, they too need to know what is expected of them and they need to do it. If they do not follow through, then they need to clearly know the consequences. God got angry when His people reject Him and His Word, and rebelled against Him. Part of this was because they broke their promise to obey Him. Part of it is because He knows what sin does to us, and how it destroys us. Application, anger is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. In fact, God's holy love demands he become angry at sin and its effects on people, culture, and the world. Sin should make us angry too. Particularly our own sin. 
our struggle is getting angry for the wrong reasons, as well as the extent and duration of our anger. So, how do you deal with your anger? Is it righteous or unrighteous? Is it a constant underlying problem in your life? It was for me, until God helped me and I learned to spot the warning signs in my own life. Unrighteous anger will become worse if it's not dealt with. We also learned God feels compassion or was moved by pity, Judges 2 18, 10 16, because the people whom He loved were oppressed. This shows how much God loved them. Application, it also shows how much God is grieved when we sin. Ephesians 4:30 states we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? Through our sin. Verse 31 gives a short list of sins to get rid of in connection to grieving Him. Even if our sin doesn't grieve us, it grieves Him. God also provided guidance and freedom in a variety of ways. He spoke directly to them, as in Judges 1-2, with Gideon in 6-11-18, to Samson's parents in chapter 13. He provided Deborah as a prophetic guide to the people in chapters 4-5. He empowered various judges to free the people in a variety of ways. God is seen as faithful throughout the book, despite the unfaithfulness of His people. Application, God will guide us too, through His Word, through circumstances, by His Spirit or through others. How He does it is up to Him, and of course. We need to pray for His guidance. Connection with Messiah and New Testament. This in part, sets up the context for John the Baptist's message, Jesus' message, and Stephen's message in Acts 7 about how unfaithful God's people have been throughout their history. This helps us understand why so many of the Jews, primarily the leadership who spoke for the nation as a corporate entity, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Though some things changed within the 1,400 years or so from the start time of the Judges to the time of Christ. The biggest part where Judges is connected to the New Testament is in Hebrews 11:32-34. and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. The writer of Hebrews challenged the readers then, and today, not with the failures of the judges, but their faith and the accomplishment of their faith. Application, we need to make sure that we define faith biblically. Faith, is not faith in faith, as some claim. Our faith is only as good as the object or person in which it is placed. We may have faith that our car will start, but if there is no gas in it, your faith is misplaced. We may say we have faith in God, but how is that expressed in our everyday life? This is where life is lived, difficulties come, bills are due, we get a promotion, we get laid off, we find a new job, we get married, we lose a child, etc. Through the good and the bad, only trusting in the Lord, His promises and work will be able to get us through. In part 2, we will look at the character studies.